Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur, with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hi, everyone. Today, I have a little bit of a change of pace for you. A few of you have been asking about things I'm learning from having these guests, and it's always a great question, and I really wanted to talk about this. I do try to close out each episode with a few great points that I think we should all take from the different interviews, but I thought today would be interesting to bring on a really great entrepreneur that I work with on a regular basis to actually chat about the different things we're learning from listening to the show and from our ongoing efforts to work together. So few of you have also asked, what am I doing on my journey right now? And while I still am out there and acting as an advisor and sort of a virtual CMO for a few people, a few companies, VC shops, stuff like that, my baby is a company called Insight Labs, which is about providing growth plans and ongoing insights for small to medium businesses. Now, I can go on and on. So rather than pitch how amazing we are, if you're looking to figure out what you need to do next, I wanted to talk about how I went out and I hired this great, amazing young entrepreneur to help me run this company. What I realized was I love working with small businesses, but as a consultant, I've kind of gotten expensive, or at least the way I approach it. So instead of focusing my time and exchanging it for money, I wanted to put together a concept around the ideas how you should grow and the ways you should be looking at data to use it to grow your business even faster and then build something out. And I've built a few companies and I've gone through this dance a few times and I realized I need someone who's very good at operations. I'm a good idea person, song and dance person, no, an idea person. And I wanted to bring on a really great operations person. So after talking with a couple hundred people, having some amazing applicants come through the process, there's this one person who just stood out so far above and beyond everyone. She's amazing. She's run her own agency. She's been head of sales for another agency. She even was CEO of a hotel group back in her past. She has amazing experiences. I would like to introduce Timmy and I are going to talk about different things that we are learning from the show. Hello, Timmy. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. We're going to play around with this and see if we can answer some questions from folks. And yes, and listen to my dog bark <laughs> in the background. It's always my favorite. <laughs> it's the, the beauty of home office. Yes. She's a great puppy, but she likes the sound of her own bark. She really does. She likes the attention. No, she's out just by herself. It's more of, I think she just enjoys it. It's like, bark. <laughs> it's good life. Yeah. She has a very good life. It's tough. She has lots of treats, lots of belly rubs. She wanders around all the time and then waits for the kids to come home from school. It's not exactly like how I like being uh, in business though. No. <laughs> it's, it's not all about belly rubs. Yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> how is being a pet like being an entrepreneur? 
<laughs> hmm, you could compare. <laughs> yeah, that's. I don't think I'm gonna come up. Sometimes you bark and no one listens to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all bark, no bite. Yeah, but I do belly rub. Yeah, it's it's all about the belly rubs. It's not about the. It's it's, it's, it's kind of with the belly rubs. Like it's some like when someone pets you on the back. I think that's the human equivalent to it. Yeah. Like when you achieve something great. Like, <laughs> but when someone. Packs you on the back. Do you like go into a complete prone position and stretch your body out? And- <laughs> <laughs> no one says you cannot yeah. do it. But <laughs> yeah, I think we're killing the, we're killing this concept. Yeah, I think we're getting off topic straight away. <laughs> yes, which is always the best way to do it. So you said that some people were asking us about business model scaling up business models or. Yeah, so it was a, a good idea to have this chat with you because we are getting quite a lot of feedback when uh, we have some uh, listeners who are specifically interested in how to change their set business models or when is even the best time to do it, especially when you're looking at scaling up and growing up. There's so many things you need to keep in mind, obviously, and so many issues to tackle and all of those that comes with it. But one of the interesting questions is, do you stick to your guns basically and you stick to your initial business plan and just carry on doing what has been working for you up until a certain level or is it something that you should actively be looking at throughout your journey and make those changes and tweak them so is it something that you have experienced as well or have you got anyone in your network with similar kind of issues it's funny because we just had and by the time this airs the episode will air also the ceo of we are rosy And she was sharing a bit about their growth. It's nice to win awards, but she's also been growing hugely. Most innovative entrepreneur last year. She was also women to watch, stuff like that. It was interesting because she was doing something that I think a lot of us read about from entrepreneurs and understanding the opportunity and when to invest into an opportunity given a situation. Because her big story was We Are Rosie was founded to be a, and I'm going to oversimplify it, but to be virtually supported team members for companies where they would embed different skill levels or teams or even executives into existing businesses that needed the talent. Growing nicely before COVID, COVID hit, they lost 80% of their business within the first two months. Now, I've panicked in that situation when I've lost a lot of businesses and gone down to basics and then slowly regrew out of it, which is, I guess, more traditional response to this thing. What was interesting, and we can kind of discuss why it was so interesting, was she knew, she believed in her business model. She was hearing about everyone having to work from home. She realized that if companies were going to allow their employees to work from home during this period, even though it was a huge cluster and everything was going on at once, that the talent, her business model, the delivery of this talent in this virtual work from home would be all the more valuable to people, especially as they knew it would be harder to hire or onboard people and all this. If she had a ready-made market of talent that could be brought in right away, that companies would go for it. So she brought her team together and she made a commitment to move forward investments they were planning over the next two years into the next three months. That's a bold move. Yeah, I know. That's why I was like, I think back on the couple of times I got hit or had to deal with things that were difficult. Yeah, and I did not. They literally grew a few hundred percent by the end of the year. They had nice, good, steady beginning of the year growth. Then boom. So like they had grown a little bit at the beginning of the year. Then they lost 80% of their total. And then they ended up year over year up 200%. But if they had gone down, they were up almost two, yeah, like some yeah. insane amount. 
Why do you think this was like the, the right solution for even though like from a, a risk perspective, like maybe not many entrepreneurs or business owners would be willing to risk that much, especially during those uncertain times. Why do you think this was such a successful move from her side? What I think it was is a combination of faith and understanding. So the faith in her business model was based very much on her understanding of the space. She brought a very detailed oriented approach to building. She talked with a gazillion people. She interviewed the people who were in her space as she was going in. And she was even trying to figure out what was available. She built it around her client interviews and her marketplace interviews using various different user interview styles and a lot of just casual conversations. We all talk about knowing your market and knowing the opportunity. I think some of us, and I know I have been guilty of this in the past, we get too comfortable. We don't get past comfortable. And it's not so much about being able to toss out even deeper statistics. It's pushing the concept of what we're doing past just this is good. So for that, you need a certain level of flexibility as well in your character, as well as in your business. Is that right? Yeah, because in setting it, it depends on when someone is wondering when it's, do we change? Do you change so we can grow? All these things. It's really experimenting in that concept of what you're delivering for your core avatar and understanding if a situation really is allowing you to play with it. I.O. Phillips, another recent guest who should be broadcast now, his research, he knew early on, even before he went back and got his MBA, that he wanted to go the acquisition entrepreneurship route after having worked for a bunch of companies. Listen to it because he has a great quip about how bad his time at McKinsey is. When is this going to air? I can't wait to listen to this episode. Is it airing soon? soon? (laughs) Um, Very soon. The production gods have it. The gods of production. We have made our offerings. So while in business school and then the two years after business school, he spoke to 15,000 companies to find the deal that he actually went through. And while he was looking for certain criteria that needed, he continually refined as he was talking with people, his knowledge and his expectations of what he was looking for. That's interesting. You're mentioning expectations, what you're looking for. That's, I think, a big thing that many professionals and entrepreneurs fail to even look at what am I expecting in the game? Is my own business like in line with my own expectations? Is the business model in line with what I'm actually expecting to achieve here? That's great sharing what, what you're saying about this incredible guy. I can't wait to, to listen to, to that story. And then when you're saying like 15,000 companies, that's crazy. Like how much resistance and persistence you need to have to go through with it? Yeah, it is. But before we go off there, I think it's also kind of talking about the balance between flexibility and adaptability. There are a gazillion stories out there about the pivot, the, oh, we were a podcast software company and we decided to create a limited communication platform. Now we're Twitter and we were a hot or not competitor. And then we were this picture thing, directory of other people's social environments. Oh, Facebook. The pivot is this classic thing of how do you want to grow? But a lot of research has shown it's not usually the pivot of the business model, but adaptability of being flexible to the delivery of your existing, looking at how you deliver, how fast you deliver, where you deliver based on the situation and your audience. Those are things that I think flexibility and adaptability really 
bring you because pivoting, yes, it can work, but it's, I think it's overlooked at. So if you want to change your business model to scale up, it's like, are you looking at this because you're frustrated or are you looking at this because the opportunity is truly there? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the thing apart from your delivery, sorry to cut you off just before I forget as well. I was going to say, in addition to looking at your own delivery as well and how you deliver and how you can adapt to it, but also adapting to the current demand because that's many companies actually are thriving now because they managed to adapt even to the current economy even or what everyone has been seeing in the last couple of years or so, like many trends are changing. New industries are blooming. Maybe 10 years ago, we didn't even know what fintech was, for example. There wasn't a need for it. And now it's a highly, hugely growing industry. And then one great example of that from a sort of real life situation would be companies such as Netflix. Even the way they started their own business, it was nothing to do with what we use them for. And then because they listened to the demand and they realized that delivering DVDs through your post it wasn't needed anymore. So they quickly adapted to the local and current demand. And I think companies like that who have that level of flexibility that they can also pinpoint not just upcoming trends, but really listen to their audience and their clients. Probably that's where they can really thrive and, and scale up to higher levels. Now, we've listened to other guests on the show talk about how they map out, they map out the opportunity of what they're looking at. Walker Dable, John, with Build to Sell. But the idea is you map out the broad structure and you allow flexibility in the fine details. We had a listener contact us. It was very interesting. I'm hoping to get him on the show, but he's an advisor to basically 10 million and up dollar companies that are looking to prepare themselves to sell. Mac, We've had a few guests who do that, but he's kind of that next step up and he takes a board position. He's a charter financial advisor, a UK type of thing. Not a, actually, I, not UK. He's Irish. So I have to be careful. Oh, there. don't, don't, don't um, say UK. Maybe not, so it's not, yeah, you go drinking up an Irishman and Scotsman. God, that'd be an Irishman, a Scotsman, and <laughs> go into a bar. And everyone passes out. That's the end of the joke. Yeah, that's the end of the joke because <laughs> I can't. But what he was talking about was like kind of mixing in different ways of understanding because there's all this formal business structure, especially as you get bigger, but there's ways of monitoring revenue, the metrics and stuff like that. But then constantly he used something with his entrepreneurs that he would work with these guys who had these larger companies. And it was very simple. It was just like frequently entrepreneurs, we say we do this for someone, a family, our families, our partners, or whatever we're doing because our parents gave us. He said, use someone who's very important to the concept of why you push yourself. Use their birthday and then pick a day, a couple of days, either side of it and evaluate not how the company is helping them specifically, but that concept, how the company, as you go from year to year, so separate from the idea of like how it's growing, the metrics, but what does it mean when you start a company, you're like, I want to provide for my family. Somewhere in the upper six figures to seven figures range, you're doing pretty well. So what do you mean now? <laughs> Box is ticked already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does this mean now? That's a great perspective because as your business grows, your mindset grows with it, right? So as you're saying that maybe the first day when you set up your own business or the first day when you actually became an entrepreneur, that's a big milestone for many people as well. You had very different drives and motivators as a person, as a human being as well. And obviously that's what you want to bring into your business as a real life entrepreneur as well. That's what this show is about, to show you real life examples, right? So when you are starting up and maybe you're at a sort of lower end of the game, as you're saying, your internal drivers might be 
providing for your families or uh, improving your local communities, making a, a bit of an impact within a specific industry or neighborhood. But when you are playing at seven, eight figures, it becomes a whole new playground for you because you can reach a much wider audience. You can make a much bigger impact with what your business is doing. So it's at one point, would you say it's recommended that someone really sits down and kind of reevaluates even their own mission of the entire business? It should be some regular basis. I always try around, the, like many people, the beginning of the year and my birthday. Unfortunately, the two are only four months apart. So I, yeah, the beginning of the year is always well thought out. And then I kind of like sprint. The last eight months is all about sprinting, but which isn't exactly a good, yeah, that's a distance run, not a sprint. But evaluation, yeah, we get into these different things. I know it's very common having fallen into this where everything is day to day. It's the fires, it's the headaches, it's the FYZ, the next step at infimum of what you need to do to keep things moving, that stepping back and evaluating not just how the business is performing on key performance indicators, your revenue, your profitability, your different types of outreach concepts, your employees, your team, your partners. That's a very important thing you need to be doing on a regular basis. But what it means for you as the entrepreneur and what it means as a business achieving those goals, because those are slightly different. It's what are you trying to do with this? And what is the business doing with this opportunity? Those are hard, but those are things that, yes, quarterly, at least quarterly, evaluating it would be great doing those great 90 day but like making sure you do that isn't that too, too frequently every quarter to really evaluate your overall mission or, or do you say that because we are in a really fast-paced life i think it's this is the thing i've done this both ways where i've ignored it except for like i said <laughs> pieces and then where it touch in it feels weird when you constantly touch base with it. You reiterate it to your team. You're like, yeah, I know I said this last week. So let me say it again this week. But what's interesting is you form cults this way. No, we're not trying to form cults. <laughs> That's another show. That's a different show. How to build your <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard. Oops, I'm not going to get sued. Um, yes, we'll do an L. Ron Hubbard episode. But no, it's about the idea of listening in all likelihood. If you've really spent that early time in the early process of your journey, you may not have product market fit, but if you're understanding the market, if you're understanding the product and there's some gaps between it, little course corrections along the way will get you much further than huge big turns every once in a while. That's very interesting. And it's, it definitely lines up very well with the sort of taking regular small directions, maybe even, or, or at least having a, a little bit of an impact here and there within your business is going to add up throughout the year. So I'm completely with you now, what you're saying, when having like regular, even quarterly reviews as well, not just looking at your overall metrics and KPIs and, and how your business is doing, but double checking that against, is this in line with the team spirit? Is this in line with the company culture? Is this in line with what the, the contribution is actually want and need. So having those regular checking points is definitely going to be one of the key indicators for someone to understand how they are scaling up and how they are growing throughout. Insight Labs, the company that I hired you to run for me is very much around that from a marketing growth. Day to day, there are so much metrics. There are some real-time concepts. There are daily metrics. They're weekly. They're monthly. They're quarterly, annually. Yeah, you can kind of look at data in all forms and shapes. But 
kind of getting an understanding of that flow and what is really important to your objectives. Because there are some really cool points of data that really don't give you great insight for different types of objectives. But we all talk about, it's like, all right, how do we, oh, we, we need to know bounce rate. Oh, what's our engagement levels? And it's, okay, those are good, but what is your objective. So we're doing an insight labs from a growth marketing and sales point of view is this idea of what type of data do you need at what point of time and how does that change over the course of your growth? And I think when we talk about businesses even further, it's taking that same concept. Maybe it's a lot of marketing and sales data there is very important to your overall business, but there's other aspects. It's your personal well-being. It's your teams. It's the concept of the type of engagement you're getting with your team? How are your people growing? How are your partners growing with you? How's your operational processes? All those things. And it's what's hard is you can sink in the concept of the data, but you can also sit there and just give you a few points that will tell you directionally how you're doing. And then as things, you know, I jokingly call it, look for green, red, yellow for stops. It's like, all right, if the data is green, it doesn't matter if it's up 2% or 3%. If it's in the green zone, great. Can we do more of it? Maybe we look at that. Great. If it's yellow, okay. Why? If it's a little slow, okay. But look at it that way. And then red is, oh my God. Well, one mistake I keep seeing happening, and I think you can back me up with this as well, AJ, is that many businesses get so immersed in looking at data because there's so much available out there now. They might not be looking at the right data that is actually relevant for them. Maybe because just they heard, I have to look at the bounce rates. I know you're not a big fan of bounce rates, for example. So someone is, let's focus on our bounce rate because that's the latest thing, for example. And they are completely ignoring the, the repeat users that are going back to their website and a lot of different useful insights. Yeah, I invested once in a company with a very, well, he's now a well-known VC or an up-and-coming VC. Yeah, more of an up-and-coming VC. And I invested in his company and every week it was a different metric, a different measurement tool, everything. And I kept saying, what about these four things? Those are basic. We need to look at the important things, but that is the important. No, we need to have everything. We need a gazillion. And there's so many like you just Google, what should I pay attention to? And you know, what data should I look at? You'll get a gazillion different types of things. It becomes very hard and there's the tools themselves are very difficult. You can get any data you want out there. And I love Google analytics because it's one of the few tools that's worth more than you pay for it. But at the end of the day, it is so overwhelming if you don't have that. If concept. you don't know yeah. what you're doing. Exactly. And then if you are looking specifically like scaling up, for example, let's say I have my business as well. I come to you and I'm telling you that I'm really looking, my main objective is to go to the next level. What would you recommend to someone like that? What should be maybe a couple of key indicators? Because there are so many metrics and data they could be lacking, looking at, but what would be maybe two or three that you would really recommend them to keep an well, eye on? I think some of it is the business model you're following and the risk structure related to that business model. Because almost any type of growth scaling and trying to add this is going to require your own internal investment, reinvestment or external money you bring in, debt you're taking on, or just reinvestment of your cash flow into the business. So understanding the stickiness, that's not quite the right thing, but this, the um, looking at your revenue and trying to understand, okay, 
you know, obviously, if you're a SaaS with a recurring revenue flow, you have a pretty and a good understanding of like how long people are staying as a customer. Great. You have a good understanding of that risk profile. So it becomes easier to evaluate. Oh, okay. I'm growing at a nice repeatable clip of five, 10%. If I reinvest the money in all likelihood, I will see a straight, yeah, it will be a directionally easy risk profile to get more money out of it. If you're doing one-off sales or if you're doing ad hoc sales of product, you need to have a better understanding of, all right, are you building things that make, what are you looking at from your existing efforts that makes you think that putting more money into this contraption and spinning the wheel is going to give you more? Are you saying, oh, we're getting a thousand visitors to the site and we're converting one and a half percent. So we believe, is there something like you need to understand based on your business model and based on the opportunity, what the likelihood of that growth would be. I like that concept that you're saying they need to look at what the likelihood of the growth would be. And I think that's such a key takeaway for everyone. If you are listening, just make sure you write this down and ask this one question for yourself. If you're only asking one question, just really looking at everything that you're doing and ask yourself, what is even the likelihood of this scaling up? Am I even ready to start scaling up? Am I even ready to start growing? Not just based on your projections for your sales or looking at just purely your cash flow, but as you mentioned already, there are so many other sort of to take into account. And that takes me to my next question as well. I wanted to, to check in with you, AJ. We spoke about this before as well during our previous chats that many businesses also struggle or maybe fail to look at new opportunities because they are maybe sticking to the current business model because they know this service or that product sells really well and they just try to optimize even the pricing or maximizing the profit for a specific service or a, or a product. At the same time, they might be missing out on new opportunities and not adding new like revenue streams into the business model. Is this something that you see as well or something that you can recommend people to actively look at? It gets back once again to the business model because I know on my side, I've fallen in both sides of the camp in different businesses I've had over the years, definitely in service businesses. I've added everything, including taking out the garbage as a service offering. And there are, you know, different arguments for different things, depending on the client relationship service industries definitely have the ability to move from that vendor category to trusted partner. So you gain the trust of a customer and increasing sales of an existing client is always a gazillion times easier than landing a new client. If you have a capability or the ability to add a capability, then yes, it's a generally a revenue positive thing, but becoming going from a data analysis and media buying company to having a social media content generation wing was probably the most difficult and least profitable <laughs> as in... I, well, it's a challenge. But once again, it's this idea that, look, you can go... It's Goldilocks. Yeah. Almost everything in business is this general concept of you go, you differ on one side where everything is too cold and you're too rigid to the rule set to all the way to the other where everything's hot and you're changing every three seconds. There are opportunities for success or there are reasons to go either direction depending on the situation. But the reality is it really is that middle, the balance between 10, you know, of 
too much change, too little change, too evolution. So it's that instead of revolution, which can work and does work, and there's always things, but it's hard. You can't count on it. While evolution, there are enough outstanding business models. There's enough outstanding information. There's a process. If you dedicate yourself to it of constantly evaluating. So like when you look at either adding or focusing your either side, I think it's the same thing. It's once again, why are you doing this? Is there because you believe there is money on the table or do you think you're decreasing on the flip side? Are you increasing your overall margin so you can offer more, but then you're doing less? Understand why you're looking at the concept. Then you can go once play back to, all right, what are we trying to do here? If you're trying to become, if this is about the efficiency of your deliverable, if it's the efficiency of your relationship, but you're maximizing your customer lifetime value or all those different understandings has to come to your objectives because no one can be the best effective operations with the highest customer lifetime. Then based on your objectives, it's, are you internally or externally focused? Are we all say customer focused, but do we deliver value by diving? Are you a product led? Like I know some entrepreneurs who live for the product. I started off big time and like the data. I loved when I was starting off playing with the data and finding ways of optimizing it or finding new ways of accelerating things. And that is great. So then all of a sudden the growth model, your focus on revenue should be on things that you can do to deliver what you believe in. If you're product led, this. If you're sales focused, then it should be to accelerate your sales processes. Yes, you should be doing everything overall, but you have to balance. It's not just you doing everything. Let's highlight that because I think that's also a very common entrepreneurial problem that I think we're all facing that as you are wearing so many hats all the time, basically, if you are a, an ambitious entrepreneur, it is the case that you get involved with a lot of different aspects of the business. But at the end of the day, if you find the right partners for you, if you find the right team for you, it's not always you having to do everything. Obviously, you are building not just the legacy and not just obviously increasing your profits, but at the same time, you are building the team with you who can then help you out running the operations, taking care of the sales, doing this, doing that, so that you can focus on what really is your, your main objective as the owner of that business is making sure that your overall business objectives and visions are still relevant and they are pushing the business forward. So I think that probably could be like another common problem that maybe some people are, are running into when they're about to scale up, that they might not even allow that space for themselves to even take a step back and, and really think about what is my role here as the entrepreneur? Am I really here to be, I don't know, creating social media posts, <laughs> writing stuff like that? Or it comes across, I think, very often when we see some these highly successful people. And this is also where, especially around this, upper six, low sevens, where what I love how much fractional structure or the ability to bring in talent is changing because I know I had an issue just even we're now only about eight years, five years since I sold my last company, but eight years since things got choppy with it, where it was very hard. You're needing a higher level of talent to either deal with your delivery problems or just with your own infrastructure and your own business issues. But the free cash flow doesn't usually keep up. Looking at the rise of more fractional, higher level talent. So just literally, just in time, <laughs> talent at a higher level, like we are rosy is an interesting concept, even though 
they do service higher end companies, but also just looking at how you can bring in other thought processes as you're looking at this, like we're building for growth in Insight Labs. We look at this concept of not only what you should be doing, but what does success mean at each step of this concept of where you want to get to. So it's like... Exactly. Based on where you are right now. Based on you, your data, (laughs) your environment, your resources, your team, we can sit there and say, okay, given what you have and where everyone is, let's just do these steps. But over time, they need to grow or you need to add talent or you need to partner to take you to that next step, which is the next layer of potential opportunity to go after. And you can see this in other parts of the business operations. We've worked with some outsourced operations team where it's, okay, here, these are the things you need to do. But if you want to get here, you're going to have to be able to add these. So that's where I think things are becoming very interesting for an entrepreneur who's in that space, because it used to be things are rocky and you're on your own. Now there's different types. There's a lot of advice. Exactly. There's so many like tools and resources available now. It's probably a bit overwhelming sometimes as well, not even knowing like where to get that support and, and that advice. And that's one thing I wanted to highlight or even mention, and I think probably you come to agree with that as well. But when you are in the day-to-day sort of things of a business, you might not even notice a couple of very obvious opportunities that you could be jumping onto just purely because you are so, you just you so got used to looking at your day-to-day procedures or activities or whatever that is. As soon as like you have that external set of eyes who can like completely objectively look at your business, look at your business model and tell you straight up front, look, AJ, you could be doing also this. Why haven't you started doing that? That's when it gives you maybe a brand new perspective that, oh, actually, now that I'm aware of that new potential or opportunity as well, it will help you to tweak your business model a little bit if it has to, or just change something entirely. What I like that, and I'll just use us as Inset Labs. Yes, we come in and we give you that other pair of eyes and kind of say here. But even more importantly, what we do is we put you through a process where you're not just you, the entrepreneur, but the whole team is now starting to think about these types of continuous opportunities, development. My team makes sure I never use the concept of agile or sprint or all that. I love the concept, but whenever someone pitches them to me, I'm like, no, even though I love those concepts. But the reality is looking at learning organization, organization that adapts and grows from data and from core principles outperforms, not surprisingly, a non-data-driven business that you are not just looking at data for results, but you're looking at data for ways to improve or change the data in a positive direction. So the data is nothing. I mean, data has no value. Out of itself, it's a number. It's the idea of what does it represent and how can you influence what it represents in a direction you want it to go. Data doesn't have character, basically. It's, it's, it's that human, like, personal touch that's needed. <laughs> data is data. I love data as just as much as you do. And that's what I normally see as well, that people get so overwhelmed by looking at data that they don't even know how to execute. Even if you tell them, like, here's what you need to do. Here's an action plan. Here's a strategy. And they just get so overwhelmed by the whole process. They don't even know how to get started. It's data is so important to the actual concept of why you do things. But I don't know, I used to be a huge film buff, but now as a dad and all this, I don't watch as many crazy things, but there's a, in 
the film theory, there's a concept called McGruffin. I don't know if you get into it, but it's based. And of course, I'm going to pull a blank right when I had it in my head. Alfred Hitchcock is a concept he used to say it's a device, an object, or something that the audience sees the protagonist go after. Data to a certain thing is what we as businesses, entrepreneurs, we chase after. We chase after the positive results of our data. But in of itself, it's nothing. It's what we do, the processes, the efforts, the focus, the thinking we put towards that data that end up becoming really interesting. So often we see that there's so much out there and how to like just looking at the data can become overwhelming let alone trying to come up with insights of ways to help you do what you want to do. I know you can talk about data for days. <laughs> and, and I think that's what we love most about you at the team, that you're so passionate about data and making decisions based on that. So definitely that's a good trait to have. But just circling back a little bit to our initial topic as well about the business models, I, I wanted to touch base another, I think that's our last sort of question to cover today. But one thing I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned as well during our previous conversations that obviously growth is an ongoing journey and there are going to be times when maybe you're not always going up, up, or maybe Maybe you don't have a like a steady growth, but there is going to be a bit of a dip along your journey. My question for you would be, what would you recommend to people to push through that and not allow them to demotivate them and help them remember why they are doing what they're doing so they can push through this dip? That is a very tough one because there's easy ones of look. The easiest thing to say is yeah, just same as athletics. Same as, when you're in a slump, you stick to the process. But there's the worry. You always have the worry, am I doing something that is not worthwhile. So you can look and evaluate, but be very careful that you're not just, and I'm going to massacre my metaphors, that you're not just swinging for the fences from an American baseballism, or you're not just kicking crazy at the net just in hope, but that you are doing what you can to isolate that. Sometimes it's worse when things drift than when they drop. Because when something really negative happens, usually you can isolate what's going on and you can start coming up with it. When things drift and it's a few things, but nothing major, that's when things get difficult because it's like, what's going on? Oh, it could be a bunch of things. It's this, it, you know, it's, but coming back to that process and maybe focusing on the isolation. I always love, and it can be as complex or as simple as you want, but looking at the equation of customer lifetime value, which when broken out, looking at the equation of what makes up a customer's lifetime value, it's everything from your acquisition of that customer to how long they remain a customer, what type of things they buy from you, how likely are they to tell, share, exchange, advocate for you. And you can keep isolating these things. And there's, if you go Google customer lifetime value, you'll see usually like CLV equals two or three things. But then if you go deeper, there are some, I saw a great one from MIT that was about 12 pages long. And it was for very basic e-commerce types business. It was so brilliant, but you would need to have such a huge business with such the ability to feed the data and to analyze that much data. So the idea is based on where you are, look at that concept of what does it take to acquire? What does it take for them to convert? What does it take for them to come back? 
What does it take? Look at the basic concepts of that and then start looking at your business and saying, okay, you know what? We're drifting. Are we drifting because we only have existing clients? No one else is coming to us. Are we one off? Like people come to us, they buy and then they never come. What are some of the basic concepts? And then build once again, I call them experiments, but the idea is pick a few things that you want to test. Okay. If this is the case, if we put some effort into discounting, if we put some things into optimizing the checkout flow, if we do email efforts, if we come up with blah, 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 and you pick a few and you practice, maybe you start with one a week or whatever. But the idea is you get into the habit where the whole organization is understanding that you're going to test some things because over time, your whole team, even the people who are not involved with the specific effort that needs help, they have an understanding of your business that they may not be doing the XYZ that you're doing or you need to focus on, but they may have a different perspective. And you're also, I think with this, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but I think also with this kind of approach, you are, you are planting that ownership feeling as well for people to take ownership of not just their own projects as well, but even for for you know their part within the entire organization because if you allow them and 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 continuously encourage them to test new things and make sure that they they even monitor progress of that it will also from a psychological perspective once they're testing actually bring success that would be such a huge driver from them to to do it again and, and start spreading that sort of attitude there are some things out there and the reason why you don't, people talk about lean methodology in different aspects and they talk about different models, their success and their repeatability. The problem is they are very difficult to follow on a consistent basis. So you have to kind of, you guiding you as in the entrepreneur guiding your organization, you have to kind of find that balance point because I know, I find it very easy to tell people, oh, you need to do this and this. And then when I'm in the driver's seat with my business, I'm like, oh, okay, yes, I need to do those five things, but I don't understand how that fits with my business, with my level of craziness and with my resources. So I'm only going to do bright, shiny object. Now, um, only do one or two things, you know, and it you have to find that balance. Yeah. Or as I say, you steal the things that work and ignore the things that don't mean anything for you, but it's not copying. It's they said I should do this or this and this. So, okay, our business fits this and we do something like that. So let's take that. It's taking the models. It's taking the processes out there and giving it time to grow. There are basic things, having opportunities to learn from your data and understanding who's involved. We do this with our guests, our growth equation, growth effectiveness scoring system. Yes, where we sit there and, okay, how likely are you to have the right steps in place? There is some organizations could be scoring high, but it's not about being perfect. It's about, once again, just like you're trying to move your metrics I think it's more like just taking a reality track, basically, because that's exactly what it, it will do for you. That when you when you are answering maybe a set of questions or you're looking at specific elements within your procedures and your business in general, it will give you a reality track of, I know I should be doing these 10, 15, 20 things right now. I cannot do everything in one go. This is my real situation. I'm scoring low, for example, within your, I don't know, operational side of sort of things or not analyzing things well enough. It could be many different angles, but until you pinpoint it. And I think that's the key really here to not just keep looking at your data, not just 
just keep wanting to scale up and, and grow your business if you don't know what needs growing. Because growing a business doesn't just mean growing your revenue. That's a nice side effect that comes with it. But growing your business successfully will mean you need to grow everything in your business, your own mindset, the way you operate, your tools, your mission. It's also the idea that as entrepreneurs, I know I have a tendency and I've had conversations with a lot of others where our successes from what other people feel are successes are not successes in our mind because we were going, you know, except for a few people who do become billionaires or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't have to be all about money, but usually our successes are lower levels than what we were targeting. We've had a few guests that really kind of talk about don't use external. Where are you compared to where you started? Because too often we have these amazing end goals in place, but it's a journey. We talk about the entrepreneur journey. It's just like same thing as building the company and working on your different processes. You know, when we talk about the guests, how effective your marketing is, it's not just this ability of checking in, seeing, okay, I'm here. Oh, that sucks. I'm in trouble. But okay, here you are. Let's see what we can do over the course of the next three, 12, 36 months, where all of a sudden now you're moving from, okay, I'm pretty ineffective to, oh, I'm actually doing okay to, oh, we're becoming very effective. That's a very valid point, what yeah. you just mentioned there. Yeah, it's like where you go yeah. compared to where you started, not to where you are by itself. Exactly. I actually wrote this down as you were saying it, and uh, I probably would highly recommend for everyone else to do this. <laughs> That's the second sort of key sentence that they should be writing down. Definitely like questioning yourself as well, like where you are compared to where you started. That is such an important exercise as well, even to do, and not just from a personal perspective as an entrepreneur, but for your business as well. And if you just look at and know your answer, and if you can do it every quarter or twice a year, or even annually, it doesn't matter your frequency, what works best for you. But knowing and keep comparing these results, it also helps you to maintain that growth mindset. It is so needed when you are a successful entrepreneur as well. We're kind of hitting on it, but mindset is such a weird... I know people who follow all sorts of gurus with very specific concept of mindsets, and then you can kind of play with the mental model structure and all that. That becomes fun. But I think many of us find it very hard. And when I say us entrepreneurs, because there are the right mental thing. It's success is fleeting, failure is constant. 99% of everything you attempt doesn't quite work or fails. It gets better when you look at sales because outbound sales is like a frat. I think it's less than 5% of any cold calling ever works. I remember like something like 15 or 20 years ago, I was working in a call center, like the good old traditional call center selling insurance to broken TV boxes. I was going through two, 300 calls a day. And I remember back then my targets were like, I had to close like six deals a day. I was hitting around eight a day, but I had to literally go for 300 attempts to even have a conversation with someone. So by the end of the day, it does help you to, to build resistance and sorry, the persistence and the, and the stamina as well. But uh, yeah, you're right. Like having that kind of mindset is, is crucial if you keep going to keep you going as well. <laughs> it becomes fun. So that's, that's like, what are you doing and why? Getting to that, there are off the shelf mindsets you can take. Start with some curiosity and start with some, I always say I focus on the puzzle solving aspects. That's what makes it so much fun for me. But yeah, building a mindset that helps you deal with all these problems really is important. And that we should really go out and bring on a couple of different types of mindset 
I, I love the coaching okay, industry. Yes. You know, me, you yeah, know that about me. <laughs> gurus can get a little, yeah. And I know you do spirituality and you're bringing in this concept. So it's, I think it's both overdone and underdone. It's that weird thing where on a high level, people talk about it all the time. But when you get down to it, it's like, how do you really bring something in that matters to you? It's this idea that like your mindset of how you look at this and how you deal with the continuous effort. It's not, you have have to be comfortable. This is why I talk about it being a journey. You have to be comfortable with this as a process, not a destination. You know, we are, if you're just in this for a destination, you may very well succeed. And the world is becoming very favorable to small exits and stuff. You're now seeing micro acquisitions and stuff that we can go into detail some other call <laughs> and discussion. <laughs> but you know, it's this idea that you have to be in this for a reason that allows you to develop not only a business, but yourself. And that's where I don't hear much of that conversation. It's the entrepreneurial journey to most people is like the concept around that one business, not you as an individual going from interest in a bit from your previous experiences to running a business, to repeating, to growing, to changing the way you manage and grow. So yeah, I think that's something we can have fun next time we talk. Yeah, I have, I'm going to, maybe it's better to ask our audience as well and then they can just reach out to us and, and if they would love to hear more about that as well, because I'm definitely happy to, to jump in another call with you, Adrian, and, and talk more about that. And I fully agree with you that so many different things we could be talking about and it's definitely not just a, a one a one-stop game, but you have a, a long journey ahead of you, which is a fun journey. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, but yeah. you keep on you keep on learning as you're going on. Now this would be fun to me. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate you getting on because you just the questions have helped me so much in what I'm trying to do. So thank you. You're more than welcome. And let's do this again. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, we'll talk with you soon, Timmy. Absolutely. Bye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.